Greetings of grace and peace in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We continue today with a series on the book of Job. Now, we are certainly not looking at the book of Job verse by verse, chapter by chapter, dialogue by dialogue. We are simply taking a piece here and a piece there that end up giving us a a pretty decent understanding of the book of Job. Last week, we talked about uh, faith that is inverted, the different kind of faith that God and Job Uh, exhibit. On the one hand, we typically think of faith in God. Job has faith in God. But the first two chapters of Job, in fact, remind us that not only does Job have faith in God, but God has faith in Job. Satan says, if Job weren't happy and healthy, he'd never worship you. God says, sure he would. Let's test that theory, Satan says. And the test goes, and Job passes the test. Job passes the test, though, in a way that makes our trite understandings of the patience of Job less than complete. The patience of Job means anything can happen, and Job just doesn't really get all bent out of shape for most people, at least most people who haven't read the book of Job. If you've read the book of Job, then you know that Job does get bent out of shape. And that it doesn't, in fact, bother God that Job gets bent out of shape. And so our scripture, we will fast forward from chapters 1 and 2 to chapter 23, where Job is, in fact, talking about wanting to have this audience with God. I know if I could just get to where I could talk to God that God would listen to me. So, I invite you to hear the word of the Lord today as we look at Job chapter 23. Then Job answered. A lot of dialogue has taken place between chapter 2 and chapter 23. Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might even come to his dwelling. I would lay my case before him. I'd fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No. But he would give heed to me. There an upright person could reason with him, and I should be acquitted forever by my judge. If I go forward, he's not there. Or backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left, he hides, and I cannot behold him. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. If only I could vanish in darkness and thick darkness would cover my face. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight for you alone, O Lord. You are our rock. You are our mighty redeemer. And in your name we pray. 
He would hear me, Job says. If only I could get an audience with him, he would hear me. If only I could find him, I would pour out my complaints before him. If only we could be face to face. Now, I'm going to throw out a 50-cent theological word that you're all familiar with. Omnipresence. If there are three characteristics of God that Christians have held to, they are that God is omniscient, God knows all, God is omnipresent, that means he transcends the limitations of space and time and is present in all places and at all times, and God is perfectly good. The three characteristics of, of God that have been brought to us through not just the scriptures but the teachings of the church fathers omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful, all-good. But right now, I, I want to focus a bit on the omnipresence of God, this aspect of God's infinity in which, which we get. We get that when we come here and the Lord is present with us here, it doesn't mean that the church worshiping right now in Brazil does not have the presence of God. We get that when we pray here at Centenary, Jesus is with us because wherever two or three are gathered, there he is. But we also get that whether someone is in Siberia or whether someone is in Haiti, God is there too because there is no place, there is no place as the unfolding of the Old Testament and the New Testament point out, there is no place that we can go to escape the presence of God. So it's an article of faith. That God is present everywhere, always. And sometimes the awareness of this is accompanied by a sense of wonder. Now, it doesn't necessarily uh, have the accompaniment of a sense of wonder. You know, if someone is, is set to go out and sin, and they're going to do it no matter what, it's not a sense of wonder that, that they experience it knowing that God will be there. It's sometimes a sense of fear. But sometimes, sometimes this awareness is accompanied by a sense of wonder. And nowhere is this clearer than in 139th Psalm, the 139th Psalm where, where the writer, the, the, the songwriter, the, the hymnist says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? I know I come back to this, but when you come to rhetorical questions in the text, answer them. Where can I go from your spirit? Nowhere. Where can I flee from your presence? Nowhere. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the depths of the earth, the underworld, you are there. There is not a cosmonaut or astronaut that has ever orbited the earth in space that God was not aware of the sequence of his or her DNA and the number of hairs on his or her head. There is not a person on a submarine at the bottom of the sea that has been lost in an accident and been a sea graveyard for decades that God does not know the name, the personality, the faith of that one. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. 
If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me be night. They just found eight miles of cave in addition to what has already been explored in Mammoth Cave. Just a, a few weeks ago that was announced. Eight more miles. It's still the largest cave system in the world that is known. But I remember about 25 years ago going to Mammoth Cave. And we were in this large, large room. And the park ranger was there telling us about this room and the history of this room and you know, what the air and how it was naturally filtered. And this, this one person just absolutely stunned and amazed looked at the park ranger and said, how many undiscovered caves are there? We don't know. <laughs> they haven't been discovered yet, says the ranger. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Sometimes an awareness of God's presence actually takes people by surprise. Jacob is fleeing from Esau. Jacob's tricked Esau out of his... Uh, Inheritance. Jacob has tricked Esau out of quite a bit, including a relationship with his father. Jacob has tricked Esau, and Esau has hired Dog the Bounty Hunter in order to find, to find Jacob. Jacob, on the run from Esau, knowing that there is a price on his head, finds a place to sleep. And when he goes to sleep, he has this dream of the angels ascending and descending from heaven. And he wakes up. He's sleeping on a rock, by the way, if you've ever noticed that. But Melinda and I have spent much of our uh, adult lives trying to find the perfect pillow. After many, many years, we have discovered, each of us, what we believe to be the perfect pillow. And I can guarantee you, it's not a rock. <laughs> Jacob woke up from his no doubt restless night sleeping on a rock. And he's like, whoa, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. Now, again, the omnipresence of God gives us this awareness that there isn't a place that we can go that God isn't. But this is an awareness that people arrive at slowly. Moses, out tending sheep, saw that there was a bush that was burning and he sets off to see what this burning bush is all about and God calls him out of the bush and he says, Moses, Moses, Moses says, here I am. Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet. You're standing on holy ground. I'm the God of your father, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. There he was, also on the run, just doing his job and thinking that his life would never have any more unexpected turns and suddenly the burning bush. Jesus, out on the edge of the lake. Simon Peter has been fishing all night and hasn't caught anything. Now if I went fishing all night, I would not catch anything either. 
If I went fishing all day, I wouldn't catch anything. One day I'll tell you my fish story and you'll understand why. But that's a story for another day. All night long they've been fishing and Jesus says, just cast on the other side. Simon Peter says, you're not the professional fisherman. Here I am. He casts on the other side and all these fish and then and then Peter falls down at Jesus' knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. There in the midst of fishing, in the midst of work, Moses and Peter find this extraordinary encounter with God. So let's talk for a minute about Job's faith because Job's faith is not the Christian faith. Job's faith is not even the Jewish faith. The story of Job takes place even from the ancient Israelites' perspective a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The story is told using an ancient ancient term for God. The story is told in a way that we might read Shakespeare. It's a different kind of prose from that and much of the rest of the Bible because Job's faith is intended to be read as a kind of faith, a kind of faith that precedes even ours and that of the Jewish nation. But Job, even way back then, knows this. A person might find and speak with God. A person might find and speak with God. Now, Job complains because he can't find God, but he knows what he wants to say. Job says, today my complaint is bitter. God's hand is heavy despite my groaning. If I only knew where to go, then I might come to the place where he dwells. I would lay my case before him. I would fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. So Job's faith. One, a person might find and speak with God. But second... God will be reasonable and hear. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No. But he would give heed to me. The greatness of God's power is unimaginable. He is the one who lives in in light that is so bright it can't be observed by humanity. He is the one who has such power and glory and honor and majesty that all of the strength of this world is nothing in comparison to God. God is the one who is beyond human understanding. But Job says, would he contend with me and fry me into nothingness? Those of you who are my age or older, think Indiana Jones and the unfortunate opening of the Ark of the Covenant. The glory of God. The glory of God is not to be trifled with. But Job says, would he smite me? Would he destroy me if I were to come to him and be real with him? No. No, he would give heed to me. In the presence of God, an upright person could reason with him. 
and I should be acquitted forever by my judge. Job's faith, he believes that a person can find and speak with God, that God will be reasonable and hear, but there's also this very interesting paradox between us and Job, this paradox between the omnipresent God who, who is everywhere, who is both revealed and concealed. The writer of the psalm says there isn't any place that we can go that God is not. Here, the, the psalmist's um, understanding here the psalmist's understanding of, of how broad the presence of God is. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Up to heaven, you're there. Down in the depths, you're there. If I go to the farthest limits of the sea, think Jonah, he tried to go west, as far west as the Atlantic Ocean. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. Even if I say, let the darkness cover me and let the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now I want you to compare the words of Psalm 139. There is no place you can go to escape God with the words of Job. If I go forward, he is not there. Or backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left, he hides, and I cannot behold him. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. Job, who is weakened by suffering, wishes simply to vanish. Elsewhere in the book of Job, he says, I wish I had never been born. He's not the only writer of Scripture who has that understanding. The prophet Jeremiah trashes his birthday for most of a whole chapter. And folks, somewhere between a quarter and a third of us during our lifetimes are going to experience periods in our lives where, where we are depressed. Sometimes to the point of being clinically depressed and, and needing treatment. That's not a 21st century problem or a 20th century problem. John Wesley came to Georgia. He was so excited about converting the Native Americans only to find that the Native Americans had no interest in being converted. He fell in love while he was in Georgia, and the woman he loved married someone else. He got mad at both of them because he was, in fact, the Anglican priest who should have been notified of the wedding in a more timely manner. His ex-girlfriend and her husband presented themselves for Holy Communion at the Anglican church. Wesley said, no, no, no. The governor of the colony of Georgia was part of her family, though. He didn't like that the 
Anglican priest had refused to give communion. And so an arrest warrant was put out for John Wesley. The Anglican Church, England, there's not separation between church and state. The Anglican Church and the colony of of Georgia were, were very much intertwined at the time. So John Wesley hears of the arrest warrant that's been issued for him and he flees in the dead of night. Where was Dog the bounty hunter when you needed him then? He flees and goes back. Goes back to the coast and gets on a ship and heads back to England. Dejected, downtrodden, saddened, and sickened by his own lack of faith. Job, weakened by suffering, simply wants to vanish. And there may be times in our lives when we just want to vanish too. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. If only I could vanish in darkness and thick darkness would cover my faith my face. So the question now is that where does Christian faith take us with this narrative from Job? Well, what do we hear in the gospel as these echoes? First, we hear that we may depend on the presence of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit remain active in our lives we may depend on the presence of the Trinity. Jesus said, I've said these things to you while I am still with you. So there's this back and forth between the, that which is revealed and that which is concealed. Jesus, who is revealed with them, is soon going to be concealed. I've said these things while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, now see the whole Trinity at work there, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. Hebrews, oddly enough, is talking about money. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That for there is another word for because. That is a causal clause. Because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You don't have to be obsessed with money because... Jesus is with you. You don't have to be discontent with what you have because when you have Jesus, it's enough. And then at the end of Matthew, Jesus comes and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
we are, from an objective point of view, never alone. Now, I want you to hear that, and I want it to sink into your heart, and I want you to pay attention to what I am going to say in the next few minutes. Objectively speaking, we are never alone. But sometimes human vision grows cloudy, and we can't see beyond the contours of this world. But we are, objectively speaking, never alone. That means the church member who is hospitalized with COVID, who can have no visitors, save the nurse who suits up a few times a day to come in, change dressing. She's not alone. God is with her. It means that those of us who wind up being the the one-third of of people who in their senior years have to go into assisted living or some kind of care, even if we think we are alone, the one who lit the stars, set the moon in its orbit around the earth, says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Even when we've prayed and prayed and prayed and haven't gotten the answer that we want, even when we have poured our hearts out to God, even when our vision has grown cloudy, this doesn't make us faithless. Even Jesus... Now understand that Jesus is God's incarnate Son, perfect in His faith, perfect in His life, both fully God and fully human, two natures in one person. God's incarnate Son, perfect in life and faith, can raise this cry from the cross. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lessons from Job. This world is not a benign place. And awful things happen to the just and the unjust, and grand things happen to the righteous and the wicked. God remains with us. Even if we sense that he has abandoned us. And the same person can say, into your hands I commend my spirit, who has previously said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Faith is complicated. But God is good. The story of Job calls us to faith. This narrative of this ancient sufferer calls us to faith. Last week in the 9 o'clock service, we, we sang this song, Are You Able When the Shadows Close Around You with the Sod to Believe that Spirit Triumphs 
to commend your soul to God. Job reminds us that even though God is present everywhere, his presence is at once revealed and concealed. But the Christian faith promises us that Jesus will be with us always, even to the very end. There is no pilot who has wandered in the bush for three or four weeks before perishing that God has not been with. There is no child who has been lost in the woods that God has not accompanied. There is no one who has died in the nursing home this week where God's presence has not been around. And there will never come a time in your life, in your death, in your life beyond death, where God will not be with you, accompanying you always. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.